became burdened uh, for the community and started, maybe you have seen this around, a nonprofit organization called 4PA. And I'm telling you, Joe, we love what you are doing. Um, we, we are paying attention to that. Amen. It is something we're all so concerned and so many scratching our heads. What do we do? But you have led action, and we love it. And it's action with a purpose. I'm sure we hear more about that. And so you all, IBC family, please welcome Joe Descala to the front. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Wow, thank you for that kind introduction. Pastor Tom, I wish you had more energy and joy. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. It is Pentecost Sunday. Perhaps I'll pray for the Holy Spirit to give you more joy and energy. It's, you are a phenomenal steward and host, and thank you very much. It's great to be here, IBC family. Uh, I just count it a privilege anytime I can come share with you and, uh, you know, just be invited from another part of the faith community and just link arms and, and share. It's an incredible thing. So am I the first guest in this series outside of IBC? Are you nervous? <laughs> we'll see. Wait till I'm done. Uh, but today is actually pretty monumental for me. Uh, you'll understand as I begin to share with you, but I almost said no to Pastor Aaron's invitation to fill in for him. Uh, you see, I'm in the midst of kind of a healing process myself that's been unfolding for quite some time. And I believe God was nudging me to do this today as one more step in moving me beyond the place that I've been for quite a few years. This is kind of that get back on the horse deal for me. <laughs> so thank you for your grace. This is less of a direct message or a teaching of a revelation that I've received, but more of a testimony of my journey living through Psalm 116 and God's unwavering companionship with me during that time. As soon as I accepted the invitation to speak, I felt this is exactly what I needed to share for someone or perhaps several people here in this room. And so I'm excited to see what, what happens. And uh, Pastor Tom already had you turn to Psalm 116, but I'll go ahead and make sure that you're there. I'm going to be reading out of the Passion Translation today, which might be a little different from what some of you have, but verses 1 through 2 say, I am passionately in love with God because he listens to me. He hears my prayers and answers them. As long as I live, I'll keep praying to him, for he stoops down to listen to the, my heart's cry. This is exactly why 20 years after I said yes to him, I am still absolutely in love. <laughs> It's not a one-sided relationship. I've had friends fade away over the years, and it's because I felt like I was the one putting in all the effort of any of you ever been there before, but that is just like so not God, that he is not exhausted by pursuing you, and it's just simply not the case with him. It's not one-sided whatsoever. But even with the closeness of God, I'm sure all of us in this room have come to understand that dark times still come. And that's why the psalmist continues in verse 3 and says, death once stared me in the face and I was close to slipping into its dark shadows. I was terrified and overcome with sorrow. 
This truly describes what happened to me and is part of the story I'd like to share with you today. In fact, I'm celebrating this moment because I actually count it as a miracle that I'm standing right here. I can attest to you this would not have been possible just two short years ago. Before I explain why, I'd like to share a super condensed version of my journey to faith to kind of give you an understanding of where I come, came from. I grew up here in Port Angeles. Uh, I grew up atheist. It wasn't anything that I was taught or a condition that was, you know, explained to me. I just didn't believe in God. It was that simple. I kind of had uh, my head in the sciences going through high school and things like that, and I just really dove into that as the explanation for life. Uh, but funny enough, I went to a Lutheran college. Uh, I don't, you know, God is just so funny sometimes. And, but I was that kid in the uh, Bible study classes that would always like torment the teacher and raise the questions. And I was that guy. Uh, but while living in Portland, I actually came to know the Lord. That's where I was going to school at. And this was in 2001. I was 25 years old, and it was a miraculous series of events. Uh, A lot of it surrounded by my now beautiful wife, Michaela. She had a lot to do with that, and I said yes to the Lord in 2001. Uh, We moved home to Port Angeles in 2002 and got married, and I immediately felt the call of the Lord to go into marriage ministry. It was very sudden after I said yes to him and we move home. We were attending Lighthouse Christian Center just down the road, which I'll continue out uh, a bit about, but we went into marriage ministry at that church. And during that time, uh, I began developing my teaching uh, gift as the pastors were gone. I would fill in for them, go figure. <laughs> Haven't really swayed far from <laughs> that. But I eventually became a staff member at Lighthouse at the end of 2002. And in 2015, I left that position and started a church called Mended, uh, which is currently still operating today. It's a small home fellowship church. And just this last year, at the end of 2021, I stepped down as lead pastor of Mended to launch 4PA, uh, which has absolutely been the culmination of where God has leading me. And I, I think that will be apparent as we move along through here. In the midst of this ever-changing walk, I became no stranger to the risk-reward dynamic of following Jesus. (laughs) And the first perceived risk that I felt was actually saying yes to him. That's kind of a scary thing for a lot of people, but uh, it was this thought of giving up my old life. It felt so risky to me. But of course, on the other side of this decision, I realized that was not a risk at all. And I remember one of my early mentors during this time telling me, Joe, if you just give it up, meaning my old life, if you just give it up, you can have it all. You can have the keys to the kingdom. And it was just oh so true. But I think the first calculated risk that Kayla and I took for the Lord was beginning that marriage ministry that I briefly referred to. We were new at Lighthouse. And we went to our pastor at the time and literally introduced ourselves. I think it was the first time we said, hey, we're Joe and Kayla. And we said, God wants us to start a marriage ministry in your church. (laughs) And it was just one of those things where he was thankfully gracious during that time and got to know us and, and realized we were serious. And he allowed us the room and the space to begin that marriage ministry. It was, it was incredible. We began teaching a class based on the book Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. Maybe some of you have perused through that in your days. And I think three couples came to that first class that we taught. 
and after a few weeks, we had one person left. <laughs> Not one couple, one person, half of a couple. <laughs> it, was the, it was the wife, and uh, those days were hard, but like, I really remember it so vividly because it's kind of like you're cutting your teeth in the faith. It's, you're cutting your teeth on this journey with Jesus uh, about what it really takes. But the first terrifying risk that I took was quitting my job at Wilder Toyota after nearly 10 years. I had been working on getting my pastoral credentials during this time while selling cars for Dan, and uh, God clearly instructed me to leave one day without having another job lined up. Uh, Frightening, to say the least. I literally had that gutted, sick-to-my-stomach feeling, even though I knew I had to do it. And I remember sitting down with Dan Sr. and talking to him and saying, Dan, you know, it's time for me to go. And him looking at me and saying, like, what are you going to do next, Joe? And I said, I I got no idea. (laughs) It was just that real for me that I had to do it. I had two young kids. I had a mortgage. I had car payments. And I called my wife in tears, and I told her I had just quit my job uh, that was supporting us. (laughs) And after I did that, I hung up the phone, and I heard God say to me, as clear as day, now watch me work. And work he did. Within about a week of me quitting my job, I was hired as associate pastor at Lighthouse. Uh, And that job was not on the table when I quit. It was just a miraculous series of events that allowed that church to hire me on as an associate. But what rings in my ears as I remember this time is verses 4 through 6, Psalm 116. I cried out to the Lord, God, come and save me. He was so kind, so gracious to me. Because of his passion toward me, he made everything right and restored me. So I've learned from my experience that God protects the vulnerable, for I was broken and brought low, but he answered me and came to my rescue. This was actually not my breaking point, though. That was still several years away. But before that, my next risk and leap of faith was leaving my position that I had received just two short years prior and starting the church mended. Mended was something that God had been speaking to me about for a while as I was pastoring at Lighthouse, but it wasn't clearly in focus during those years. I didn't fully understand what those those stirrings inside of me were. All I knew was that I had this overwhelming desire to be amongst the people of the city. I couldn't shake it. I wanted to use my personal passions for helping our community. I felt I had creativity and talents that I could use to show people God's love. So stepping out and starting a church that valued fanning this flame was an incremental step in this process for me. I honestly think this is an important way to honor God, actually, by using what he's put inside of each of us to reach other people. A big outward expression of this unfolded in the summer of 2017 after the sudden death of my cousin just a few short months before. My cousin Mark was 46 years old, the same age I am standing here in front of you. And he had this very strange reaction to something that caused his body to go into sepsis. Within 24 hours, his organs began systematically shutting down until his heart eventually stopped. 
To this day, they still have no idea what triggered it, and he left behind a wife and five kids. During this time, wow. During this time, I felt helpless watching his family grieve, and it was kind of this surreal experience as I gave the eulogy at his funeral. Not something you expect to do. And I was on a run during this time, and I was praying about what I could possibly do to help, and God told me to pray a circle around the state for those who experienced this kind of loss. And I was like, like, like a literal circle God? <laughs> uh, not just like look at a map and maybe like visualize a circle? And uh, no, it, he meant a literal circle. And in the days to follow, the scope of what God was telling me began to come into focus. I was going to blend my love of adventure and endurance sports and physically circumnavigate the state of Washington praying for orphans and widows. He shared with me the scripture in James chapter 1. I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So here were the three points of this entire trip was to pray around Washington State specifically for orphans and widows or people that have experienced that type of loss in their own family. Raise awareness and start the Orphans and Widows Fund to help those who are going through that type of loss and really to inspire others to take action uh, in their own community. Dream big. I've always been a dream big type guy. My plan included biking, kayaking, and running 1,376 miles around the perimeter of Washington State in 34 days. And my family was to be my support vehicle, uh, driving along behind me and and supporting those endeavors, which they did so beautifully. It was truly the trip of a lifetime that I could go on about, but the trip details are not what I'm here to open up about. It's what happened afterwards an intense onslaught and attack from the enemy on my health, on my body, and my mind. It was brutal, and it was the beginning of my breaking. I'd like to read to you an Instagram post that I wrote exactly one year after my trek had began. It's going to kind of give you some insight on where my head was at, so bear with me. One year ago, it was the eve before a five-week journey that would change things. Yes, positive change for a cause, but another change happened too. An onslaught of mental battles from the enemy of my soul. I can't pinpoint a moment it began, it just started. And I have to pause here because I really think people here have experienced something similar. Each day, new thoughts and lies until I felt like a different person, anxious and paralyzed with confusion over simple tasks. Not the guy who had just cycled, kayaked, and ran 1,376 miles around Washington State in 34 days with focus. I consider myself normal but busy, a proud husband and father. I love to teach as I pastor a small, Jesus-loving church. I've always loved to teach, guys, honestly. I consider myself an endurance athlete, but realize that's kind of a relative term, but who you're comparing yourself to. Uh, There's just a sick part of my brain that likes to see what I'm made of. I own a small business, have a vision for my town, and I love drinking IPA on my porch with my beautiful bride. Honestly, I'm tired too. 
Years of living on savings, leveraging assets, and borrowing as we invested in dreams has taken a toll. And I want to get back to the place where I laugh more. I really miss laughing, and that's what upsets me the most. I already felt pulled in so many directions. When the voices of doubt showed up after my trip, it became unbearable. A weakened soul became an easy target, and I see now that my defenses were down, masked by the high of accomplishment. Hard to admit for somebody who normally prepares others for the fires in life. It happened, though, much like any unexpected event, and now it's time to fight. It's amazing how hard it can be to do the thing you know needs to be done. But I knew my first step would be a plea for help. I'm happy to say I've had some victory after being vulnerable with my struggle, sharing with loved ones who have committed to pray and see me through this. It's a conscious effort daily to silence each voice that isn't God or a trusted ally, but it must be done. I've got too much to accomplish to stay in this place. Time to shine again, so in the following weeks, I'd like to parallel my physical journey from the last year with truths I learned each day along the way, a spiritual journey that is part of my healing. Much love and to God be the glory. I wrote this a year after I went on the trip uh, and after I had been experiencing those problems starting to come into my mind. If you want to hop on my Instagram, I did chronicle those 34 days, and uh, it's pretty cool to read back through some of the lessons that I learned. But the victories that I spoke of in that post were small, and they were just barely beginning at that point in time. It was a long, slow process that transpired over the course of nearly three years. My breaking point, and probably the closest I came to a nervous breakdown, was the summer of 2019, about a year after I had written that post. Uh, I remember it vividly. I'm pretty sure Michaela remembers it vividly. I was in the middle of a large construction uh, project at our house. My stress level was off the charts. And there was a moment in time when I was trying to build this shop, and it was raining, and I hurt myself, and it all just came crashing down. And my body and my mind just said, nope, you're done. (laughs) Literally. This moment led me to getting really serious about finding what was wrong with me. I was really a shell of myself, and I was terrified that I was actually losing my mind. I began to think all kinds of crazy thoughts like, I mean, honestly, like maybe I had early onset Alzheimer's, uh, or maybe it was the beginning of some sort of mental illness. The smallest task felt insurmountable to me, and getting up here in front of you would have been virtually impossible. I also began a lengthy medical journey because I was experiencing significant dizziness, even to the point of blacking out. Other symptoms were brain fog, loss of concentration, my inability to engage in long conversations. I wore a heart monitor for two weeks to try to figure out what was happening inside my body, and I went under, underwent a series of blood tests. Now, the nice thing is that these blood tests reveal that I had an underactive thyroid. I don't know, maybe some of you in here have experienced something similar. And I have a few theories as to what stressors started to begin this degradation process, but I'll tell you what, it was absolutely real. Uh, But I was just thankful to have answers, and I was able to get on medication that began to make a difference within just a few short weeks. Now, that was not the only factor that began the turnaround for me. God's hand was weaving throughout this entire process. And fortunately, in my years of counseling other people, 
I had gained enough wisdom, thankfully, to know that surrounding myself with more church community would be a critical piece of keeping things from getting worse. I needed others to lift my arms because I couldn't keep them up on my own. Plus, I had actually seen with my own two eyes in the years prior with people the catastrophic results of people isolating themselves when the struggle sets in. It's critical to set your place in the seat that you're in right now (laughs) during these times. Another thing I did is I joined a leadership network of pastors from around the region for prayer, encouragement, support, and I opened up to the leadership team of my own church and I asked them for help. It's not not an easy place to be, to go go and kind of humble yourself and ask for help uh, for those that you're leading. Some other practical things I had to do was offload responsibilities as we transitioned our church to a model that spread out the weekly teaching to several different people. I had to offload stuff. My brain was just too clogged. And all these things together allowed me to gain more strength in my mind and my body. Remember what verse 6 says. For I was broken and brought low, but he answered me, and he came to my rescue. And I was experiencing God's rescue firsthand. During this time of strengthening, God began speaking to me about the next assignment. He didn't waste any time. And uh, that's what I love about God. Even like during these struggling times, he'll begin to plant little seeds about what's next. It's, uh, there are times for healing, but there. It's, it's healing towards something. I'm a firm believer in that. He began uh, talking to me and strengthening me about what was being used next. And I knew that my cognitive abilities were returning in order to be used for what was next. And during 2020, my heart was being turned toward the homeless crisis in our town. And there's a lot surrounding this. I'd be more than happy to talk to people individually about this process because it's quite lengthy. Um, but my heart was being turned. And it's important to note that the restructuring in my own church and spreading out the responsibilities was what allowed me the time and space to begin to pursue what was in my heart. That was a critical piece. Had I not gone through that process, God would not have been able to steer me in this direction. This change, like I said, likely would not have happened without me reaching that breaking point, you know, not too long before. I went on a journey to learn as much as possible from the people who were involved in homelessness in our community. I formed a friendship with the director of one of our local outreach programs, and I wanted to see how I could help. I learned that their program actually needed a van to transport clients and act as a mobile clinic, so our church just bought them a van. It was just this really cool time where God showed me the power and importance of practical solutions that we can implement in our own community. And throughout this process of educating myself, not only did I talk to a lot of people, but I volunteered in various areas as well. I got to the point where I finally felt confident in my own opinions of what was kind of still lacking in our community from what I was seeing, and really what our community was crying out for and wanted to to see And that was cleanliness and safety for all of our citizens, sheltered and unsheltered. And one day I was on my run again, and God said to me, he speaks to me a lot during my runs. That's half the reason that I do it, is just this clarity of mind. He he said to me during this run that 
I'm going to pick up garbage and help people. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that sounds easy enough. Uh, my daughter and I came up with a new name for myself. I'm now the trash pastor. <laughs> and uh, I, might, I might write a book with that same title. Uh, but you know what? These two things of picking up garbage and helping people can really be done in conjunction. They're not mutually exclusive from one another, and you can do both. This led to developing the idea and planning the structure of 4PA over the first 10 months of 2021. 4PA would be a community-funded, nonprofit organization. Tom hit on this a little bit. Uh, dedicated to cleaning our city from damage done by illegal camping and dumping, plus connecting the homeless with the help that they need. This would specifically be done by providing temporary shelter in designated locations other than our public spaces. So the goal of our organization is to clean up, yes, but to help people get off the streets and find stability. That is at the heart of what we are doing. It's important to understand that this was a very strategic plan given to me by God. I was to start cleaning so people could see a difference. It's important for people to have something to hope for and see change. This would allow me to gain support and credibility from the community as I move into the second phase of sheltering people and helping them get off the streets. And this is exactly what is happening I stepped down from Mended and launched 4PA in October of 2021. This is just a little over six months ago. And I'm very proud to say that we've made a huge impact in such a short amount of time. Perhaps some of you are following along. I'm I'm assuming some of you are. Um, But we've removed over 17 tons of garbage from our public spaces and natural areas. And we are closer than ever to getting some of our shelter ideas off the ground, which I am over the moon about excited. Verses 7 through 11 of Psalm 116 says, Now I can say to myself and to all, relax and rest. Be confident and serene, for the Lord rewards fully those who simply trust him. God has rescued my soul from death's fear and dried my eyes of many tears. He's kept my feet firmly on his path and straightened me so that I may please him and walk before Yahweh in his fields of life. Even when it seems I'm surrounded by many liars and my own fears, and though I am hurting in my suffering and trauma, I will stay faithful to God and speak words of faith. One thing I can say confidently that I believe was a foundational piece to my healing, and one that kept me from my my suffering from lasting any longer than it needed to, was that I never lost sight of God's goodness. I never doubted he was with me. I may have questions about his methodology, (laughs) but my love for him and the way that I spoke about him remains steadfast. That was never in question. And that would be my encouragement to anybody here today that may be experiencing that, cling to that steadfastness of God, that he's the anchor, he's unwavering. Even if you feel that distance, he is so close. Verses 12 through 14 So now, what can I ever give back to God to repay him for the blessings he's poured out on me? I will lift up his cup of salvation and praise him extravagantly for all that he's done for me. I will fulfill the promise I made to God in the presence of his gathered people. For me, that promise was to serve him always, 
I remember I, I said that to him when I was driving to work at Wilder one day. And I just said, God, I'm going to serve you all the days of my life. And he explicitly told me that I would experience disappointment and despair at times. That was right on the heels of me saying, God, I trust you and I will follow you. This is what he said in preparation for the future. And I'm so thankful that he did. But I still trusted him. Verses 15 through 19 say, when one of God's holy lovers dies, it is costly to the Lord, touching his heart. Lord, because I am your loving servant, you have broken open my life and freed me from my chains. Now I'll worship you passionately and bring to you my sacrifice of praise drenched with thanksgiving. I'll keep my promise to you, God, in the presence of your gathered people, just like I said I would. I'll worship you here in your living presence in the temple in Jerusalem. I will worship you and sing hallelujah, for I praise you, Lord. And I recommit myself in front of all you here today. I will serve him all the days of my life. Now, never in a million years would I think that my cousin's death would be the catalyst for what, was, what I was going to be doing in our community. But I know that God's heart broke that day that Mark died, and that he was determined to do what he always does and use our trials and tragedies for good. Christ's entire ministry and passion on the cross modeled life springing out of death. He healed those he encountered who were riddled with disease and sickness. He erased a life of shame with just one whisper or a touch. And ultimately, he defeated the power of death completely when he rose from the grave and took his everlasting seat at the right hand of the Father. It's incredible to think that from this place, we still have access to him today. Even though he reigns, it doesn't diminish his desire to be intimate with us. It is the purest form of love and connection that we will ever experience if we give him access to our lives. Let me say that again. If we give him access to our lives. Remember what my mentor said to me. If you give it up, you can have it all. Surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ opens the door wide open to possibility and a love that you'll never experience anywhere else. I now see that by me not cutting him off during my difficulties, he used my breaking as part of the process to build me back stronger, with more confidence, more faith, and more trust in him as I move forward in this next endeavor. And for that, I will continue to worship him and sing hallelujah, just like the psalmist did. Now, I'd also like to note, I always admire people that sing and can worship. It just, it, it blesses me tremendously but you'll notice my mouth doesn't open very often when, <laughs> during worship. That's just how I am. And so even though I'm not an outward singer in that regard, for me, worshiping God oftentimes sounds like this. I worship you, God. I worship you, God. I worship you, God. When I'm running, when I'm driving, when I'm walking, I worship you, God. It's just that acknowledgement of where he's seated in that reverent position towards him for what he's done in my life. Um, speaking of worship, the team can probably make their way. I don't know where they, they have this crazy back room. Oh, no, there they are. <laughs> thought they had some secret back green room. <laughs> By the way, 
I want to be invited to a green room someday. I've never been in a green room. So if you invite me back, make a green room. So I'd like to finish and leave uh, you with my final Instagram post from chronicling, chronicling my journey around the state. So the one I read to you first was post number one. This is the final post of that chronicling. And uh, I think it's succinct. Um, and it actually ends with a prayer that I would like to speak over you as we close. Day 34. So this is, wrote this a year after the trip ended. On this day, surrounded by family and friends, I crossed the very spot on the Port Angeles waterfront that I had left 34 days earlier. My 21-mile run from the Lyre River was the capstone to what my kids often refer to as the trip. (laughs) We tell stories from our experience all the time and continuously marvel at the strength God gave us. To show how his hand was truly a part of the journey, I always point to the stats, 1,376 miles, zero injuries, zero mechanical problems, zero setbacks, and we finished on schedule with our family intact. It's true that I prayed a complete circle around the state, plus raised awareness and resources for people that had lost loved ones, but even a year later, it's clear the adventure isn't over, and I feel the same way today. I'm beginning to see a ripple effect of people stepping out into faith and going after big things that God has asked them to do. This was the third and final reason for the trip and the one that fills my heart with joy. And before I read the last section, that's my encouragement today. I hope that anything that you've heard or seen or done from my life would spur you into action, fan the flames for what God has put inside of your soul. I am a huge proponent, proponent that each of us has an incredible gift to offer our community, uh, and giving it over to God can, there's nothing that we can't do. We have every resource of heaven at our fingertips if we work together to accomplish incredible things. Whether you followed along a year ago as things were happening or you've been tuning in the last 34 days as I've chronicled what God taught me along the way, and here's my prayer for you, is that you've been inspired to be a change agent for your community, that you understand God is very real. He deeply loves his children, including all of you, and has a profound plan to be in relationship with you as he models perfect love. May God bless you and his face shine upon you. Thank you very much.